listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. John chapter 10. And when I'm done uh, reading, you can say, uh, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. There you go. Uh, John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as a father knows me, and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, there we go. Mic back on. All right. Good morning, Story City. My name is Justin, and I have the privilege as serving as one of your pastors. And specifically, I have the honor of being working with our family ministry because I am the director of family ministries for Story City. So that's here at the Granada location and also over at our Burbank location. And uh, I, uh, most Sundays we serve, my, my family and I serve at our Burbank location, but we cherish the moments that we get to come up here and spend uh, time with our Granada family. And so I'm really thankful to be able to be here and fellowship and worship with you all this morning, as well as be able to uh, bring the word and open up God's word this morning for us and with us as we continue our series in John, the I Am series. And uh, and I got to say, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting because uh, uh, th- there's a small platform that I got to be on, and I'm a big guy, and I like to move around. So I said, it's going to be interesting this morning in two ways. Either this is going to be really good because they're going to confine me, or I'm going to fall off the stage. Either way, it's going to make for, for something good this morning. Uh, and so <laughs> we are going to be continuing in our in the series talking about the I am statements that Jesus makes throughout John. Uh, but before I jump in on that, I just want us to pause for a moment because it'd be easy for us to just go into a series. Oh, cool. It's got a title. I am. And we're going to go through some areas that Jesus talks about who he is. But we need to pause for a moment and, and acknowledge and realize that these are statements that Jesus is making about who he is. God revealed to humanity. This isn't just some good teacher. This isn't just some, some man. This is God in the flesh. And if, you've, if we've ever sat and be like, God, I just want face-to-face time with you. God, I wish I could just hear from you and you would just tell me who you are, who you're meant to be in my life, who you are to this world, who you are to my neighbor, to my family member. God, would you just reveal yourself to us? My friends, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. This is why we're going through this series because Jesus is sitting before humanity in the flesh, God in flesh, and he says, I am. That's huge for us to be able to comprehend and understand God coming to us in the flesh just like us and speaking in terms that we might come to understand and know who God is. And you know, there's a base understanding for us as humans uh, that is our actions define us. 
right? There's kind of a base understanding about that. Our actions define us. Like if I was to tell you, hey guys, I know some of you kind of know me, most of you might not know me uh, personally or intimately, but uh, if I was to tell you I'm a really humble guy, you'd probably be like, we'll see. I mean, I'd have to get, I'd have to, get to know you first, right? I can't just make that claim and you believe it. You'd have to see within actions and within experience to go, that claim is true. Our claims are only backed up by our actions as humans, right? If I was to tell you that I played one season in the NFL, you'd be like, I don't know, I'm gonna have to Google that, <laughs> right? I didn't, by the way. Sometimes I can convince our, our, our youth students and, uh, and I'm like, guys, come on, I did not, come on. But here's the thing, I remember, uh, first of all, how many of you all, how many of you all like uh, Batman? Any Batman fans, okay? Any Superman fans? Anybody Superman over Batman? We got one, my guy, standing strong. There we go, Batman over Superman people? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, because he's human. Oh, I get it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but specifically, Batman, uh, let's, let's talk about Christian Bale, like the Christian Bale films. Okay, cool, some of you, okay. So uh, that, that film was, uh, there, there was something magnificent that took place in this film. First, it's the story of Bruce Wayne and him finding his character, who he was. They focus more on his background and development of becoming this hero that, that we come to know as, as, as Batman. And this whole film is about, uh, about him and his development. And inside this film, he has a be childhood best friend named Rachel, and uh, who knows him deeply. And the whole film is developed on the character of who Bruce Wayne is or Batman is going to become as a person. How he handles the death of his family. How he takes up the moniker of Batman. Uh, what it means to become a vigilante. And who he is as a character. Constantly, Bruce, Bruce depicts uh, lofty ideals of what it means for society to run. But it is his childhood friend who challenges him that words without substance is meaningless. In the climactic moment, uh, Batman or Bruce Wayne, as the city is being destroyed, uh, he, he finally hones in on a serious decision. And he steps into his mantle, and it was a key moment, moment shift in our character. As he stands before his childhood best friend, and in his guttural Batman voice, he, he, he says a very powerful line. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. This is a, a human truth for us as we look at one another. It doesn't matter how much you say you're patient, kind, loving. Oh, it's the heart that counts. No, it's not. For us as humans, it's the actionable steps. Were you loving? Were you patient with this person? Oh, you just got to get to know him. We as humans can only substantiate from our actions. And I bring this up because we have to be very careful not to take our human experience, which is we are fallen, broken, sinful beings trying to do relationship with other fallen, sinful human beings. So when we act, when we interact with other humans, we expect sinful, fallen human beings. Therefore, we have to see in action and we have to be careful not to take that same expectation and put it on a perfect God. 
Because when a perfect God makes a claim and says, I am the good shepherd, he is the good shepherd. See, his identity is not made up by what he does. It is who he is that defines what he does. And I know that can be a little bit confusing, so let me just put it like this. Jesus is the savior, not because he saved us from death and sin, but because he is a savior. He always was the Messiah. He was always the savior to be. And so because he's a savior, he came and he saved. Do you see the difference? We have to approach as we come to these series and as we come into the message today and look at the claim, I am the good shepherd. We can't do it to look at and well, tell me how you're the good shepherd. Give me, show me the actions of how you're going to be the good shepherd to me. We can't do that. It's not the purpose of what Jesus, he's not trying to define, he's not trying to say this is what the good shepherd is. He's trying to tell people this is who I am. So this morning I want to invite you to kind of take a, a, a different shift of expectation inside of the message time. Not, not to treat it as one that would say, let's enter into a classroom and let me speak to you about the good shepherd. Because I gotta be honest with you, I wrestled a lot with this passage this week. Not because of its complexity, but because of how to communicate the person of who God is. And how to communicate that in a way that in this time, you might not know more about him, but that you would come to know him. And so I invite you not to enter into a classroom lecture, but I invite you just to go on a discovery with me. That we might try and find who this intimate, personable God is when he makes a claim, this is who I am. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I'd, I'd encourage you to open up to John chapter 10. We're, we're going through verses 11 through 15. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to follow along because I think there's areas that are gonna be key for us to highlight, underline, circle, whatever your, your style of taking notes would be. I think there's some really cool moments in this. If you don't have a physical Bible, I'd encourage you, just get on your, on your Bible, your phone Bible. Get on the Safari, open up an app, uh, find a place that you can take notes, that you can see and handle the word of God for yourself. Because in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the first observation on our discovery we need to take is that a good shepherd is powerful. A good shepherd is powerful. As I read, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, it reminds me of a passage in Philippians chapter two. In Philippians two, verse three, starting in verse three, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, through he was in the, though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." In humility, count others more important than yourselves. And then again, Paul gives the example, just as Christ did not, although he was equal with God, did not consider himself equal, but came in the form of man. He humbled himself. For there to be humility, there must be power. I could, have just, I could have just said the first character trait of the good shepherd of who he is in his, in his heart and in his being is that he's humble. But humility, humility can be uh, misconstrued. It can be kind of foggy as we look at it. Because it can be, sometimes we can look at humility and think, oh, that's just somebody who constantly is just uh, uh, giving away themselves and letting somebody walk over them. It's somebody who's, who, who's weak. It's somebody who, uh, who, who just, who can't stand up for themselves. But that's a misunderstanding of what humility is. To understand humility, you have to understand power because pow it takes power for humility. Paul pulls this out when he says, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. <laughs> the power of being God Almighty and yet he humbled himself to put on flesh, to become nothing. We know shepherds are powerful because they protect their sheep from lions, bears, wolves, and all sorts of predators. God is powerful. In fact, he is all-powerful. But it's how he uses this power that's important. If we want to understand who God is, then we need to understand him holistically, which means the big picture, all around, everything. Because we cannot view Jesus, the good shepherd, as someone who is weak. In order for there to be humility, there must be power that is laid down. Humility without power is weakness because there's nothing to submit. If, 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 the, if somebody has nothing to offer to submit to be less than, there is no humility. It takes a stature, it takes an authority, it takes a power. Something that can be sacrificed. And so, in order for humility to take place, there must be a position of power. And this understanding is paramount because power is the substance that fuels humility. This is, it, it forms our understanding of the person of Jesus because it is in his power and humanity that the good shepherd stands before his sheep. Jesus did not lay down his life because he was weak. He did not go to the cross because he was weak. He did not endure the cross because he was weak. In fact, this is exactly how the, how the enemy, how the devil tried to snare him. If you're so powerful, as he walked through the wilderness, if you're so powerful, then call your angels down. In fact, all the guards, they, they mocked him while he was on the cross. If you're the king of the Jews, then why don't you just come down off that cross? His humility to be on the cross was not weakness. It was the power of the good shepherd. We have to understand that being the good shepherd is powerful. 
It matters because in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, we get another I am statement. As Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. How do these, how does gentle and lowly go with a shepherd that is powerful? Well, in order to be gentle, it means that there has to be a power submitted, that, that, that as Jesus comes in his meekness, and as he is intentional and lowly, meaning not, not considering himself high, we don't have a distant God who sits on his throne, but rather we have a God who perceives, I am gentle and lowly, I am on your level, in fact, I come as a servant. And in all my power and all my authority, I come to serve and be intentional and be with you and before you. I do not come to you as one that, that, that comes to, to, to point fingers, to judge, and to discriminate. I come in my power of gentleness and restoration. It's why later on in 1 John, we can come to understand the words that perfect love casts out fear. Because that power is one in his person that is gentle and lowly. There is strength and power and ferocity behind the humble, gentle, and lowly shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And to be honest, I wish I had the, an entire sermon allotment time just to focus in on the dichotomy that is power and meekness. But we need to understand this if we're able to see the depth of what is next. Because the power of the shepherd is for you. It's to serve you. It's to protect you. It's to love you, to care for you, to redeem you. This is, this, this is God who is to be worshipped. This is a God who is the king of all, of, okay, we just sang it. He's the name above all names. This is Jesus, the high king, the one that God the Father has given all authority of all kingdoms. He is one that, why would he serve us? We should be serving him. We should be praising, exalting, and worshiping him. And yet, he fixes himself and says, I do all of this for, for you. This is a God who is to be worshiped and all glory to be to him because of who he is, this powerful, humble, gentle, lowly God. And yet he points it all to you. Everything that he has, all of his power, all of his gentleness, all of his humility, all of his meekness, all of his lowliness, he points it to you for the sake of a relationship. Because he is the good shepherd and he loves you, a good shepherd is powerful and a good shepherd takes ownership. The verses continue, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Do you see that God loves you? As you look at this passage, as you look at these verses, do you see the intimacy? Do you see 
see the fact that God sees you and that he loves you and that he cares about you. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And when the, when the enemy comes, when the wolf comes and there's seasons of depression and those seasons of, of having to get over hurdles, those seasons where it seems like, why does it just seem like I'm being attacked? I can't, I can't get over the hump. I can't get, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? When the, when the wolves are surrounded, a hired hand is one that leaves. But the good shepherd is the one that, that stays put and fights and protects and is present with the sheep. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares about you. Jesus did not come down and endure the cross and put on flesh just so that he could be exalted even higher. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he sees you. He did it because he cares about you. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Others will flee. Others will leave. But I care about you. I care. And, and, my, and how I love you and how much I care about you, this is why I'm going to endure the flesh and the cross. I hope you're reading what I'm reading. Everyone else is an imposter. Jesus says, the good shepherd that he is the good shepherd because he cares about you. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. This is, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. The second person in the Trinity, the Son who spoke life into existence. He is the Word. He is the Logos. He is the, he, it's in the name of Jesus, may there be light. Jesus speaks and utters the words light and so therefore there is light. In the creation, as God was making the vast oceans and the beautiful rainforests and every creature of the earth, God said, I'm gonna make man in our image. Knowing that the son would put on this image. And it was in this, as he's creating all of these things, in the midst of his creation, he cares about you. This is who he is. God cares about you. Let me share something with you from a pastor I once heard that changed my life. He says, the compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. And Jesus says to your heart and mind, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, depending on smooth circumstance, human compassion with mine, for I am God. As well as man, when you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion. It is saying that in his gut, he was wrenched, his heart torn open, and the most vulnerable part of his being laid bare. The ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows 
knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out, whether in poverty, whether whatever our pain, his plea to his people is come now wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I, and I will meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are. Not as you should be, because you'll never be as, you're, as you should be. Do you really believe this? With all the wrong turns that you've made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity, fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain. Without caution, regret, boundary, limit, no matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you because this is the Jesus of the Gospels. This is the good shepherd. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you trust with your essence and with your being and with your life to take Jesus at his own words that neither height nor depth nor angels or demons or anything else is gonna separate you from the love of God? Do you trust God at his word that he is the good shepherd and that he cares about you? He says, I am the good shepherd you are my sheep, and I love you, and I care about you. You might ask yourself, Justin, what does this have to do with Jesus, the good shepherd, taking ownership? For God demonstrated, in, in Romans 5, 8, it says, for God demonstrated his own love for us in this. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. God does not abandon you. God has not abandoned you. I don't know what you've gone through, and I don't know what you're going through, but God has not abandoned you. This is the God that sees you. The love of God, his care for you moved him to put on flesh and endure a fallen nature of this world, so much so that he would endure the cross and death, all while carrying the sin of the world upon him. A bad shepherd might cut, cut his losses. A bad shepherd might see the debt that is racked up and, 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 and leave for the safety of his own. But Jesus is the one that leaves the 99 for the one. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why? Because a good shepherd takes ownership of that which he loves. Everything else is a hired hand and will run. But Jesus says, I care. And so I'm going to put on flesh and go to the cross. My friend, do you know that we do not earn favor with God? There's nothing that we can produce, nothing that we can do to earn more favor with God. It was not on our own effort that makes God love us. It is not on our own effort that secures our salvation, and it is not on our own effort that sustains our relationship with God. 
We learned last week that it is the good shepherd who says the sheep know my voice and I lead them through the gate. It is in Christ alone that we know him and it is in Christ alone that he sustains us. Do you trust these words as you battle and as you strive every day to lay down your life and to bring on more Jesus, as you fight the turmoils of this fallen world, as you see sin, as you walk out your door in our neighborhoods, as you look to this decaying world in hopes of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, do you take Jesus at his words that he sees you, that he cares about you, that he is redeeming and that redeeming you and that he's never going to abandon you, that he is here for you, that the shepherd remains. Do you take him at his word when he says in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It wasn't your work that saved you, and it's not your work that's going to sustain you. Only Jesus sustains. This is why Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount can say, I know, do, you, do, you, do you know that the birds have their nests to lay? I know every hair counted on your head. Why do you worry about tomorrow? I am your father. I am the good shepherd. I will take care of you. Do you believe? Not just because he is God and he has the power to provide, but because he intimately sees you, knows you, and loves you. And as a good father would, take care of his children. Do you trust in his faithful goodness? Do you trust that the same God who chose you sustains you? Do you trust that God sees you and loves what he sees? Do you trust that God wants you close to him? That he wants to hold you, care for you, shape you, and protect you? I have a, I have a two-year-old. His name is Nolan. Uh, Nolan Bjorn. If, uh, if you want to side with dad, we call him Bjorn. If you want to side with mom, his name's Nolan. Nolan Bjorn. Okay? Uh, and so, Nolan, Nolan, he's, he's two, he turns three in December. And he's at that stage, that, a, that active stage where he likes to run, jump, and do dangerous things. But he also knows the reality of this world that some of those dangerous things hurt. And so, he loves to climb on things and he loves to jump off things. Uh, but he, and, and you just never know which one you're going to get, the fearless Nolan or the Nolan that says, uh, hey dad, I need you to hold my hand while I jump off this ledge. You just never know. So like you have to always be paying attention because can't trust that he's going, daddy, daddy, next thing you know he's jumping off a bookshelf, right? So, but he will always kind of jump. Like he would jump off this and he would jump on the ground, like curbs. This is where he starts. And then he kind of builds his confidence and he might jump off that chair. So only a little bit higher and he might do it himself. Most likely he's going to want me to hold his hand before he jumps. He just wants to know that he's, that he's not going to get hurt and that he's going to be safe. And so he goes, daddy, hold you. Daddy, hold you. Daddy, hold you. And he puts out his hand because he wants me to hold his hand. And so uh, at, our, at our house, in our backyard, we've got some layered uh, uh, planters. And so it's brick. And so it's just like classic kind of step up. So he'll start on a curb. He'll work his way up. Takes the next step. And every time getting a little bit more confidence, a little bit more confidence, sticks out his hand. Daddy, hold you. Daddy, hold you. And so I will hold his hand and I will guide him as he jumps. And it doesn't take long. It didn't take me long. This is my... The, the first child, right? It did not take me long to realize that as we're doing this, it's not Nolan that's holding on to me. It's me that's holding on to Nolan. 
because in his own effort, in his feeble two-year-old hand, would not be able to sustain the grasp onto my hand. And so, as a good father holding his hand tight, it is I who holds him to make sure that there is a security and a safety. And even if he tried to yank and pull away his hand, he does not have the strength to pull from my grasp. In the same way, we find our security not in our own strength, but in the strength of our dad. For our hands are weak like a two-year-old. It is in Christ alone that sustains and protects us. And so we, as children of God, reach out to our Father, and it is our Father who sustains. It is our Father who protects, for he is the good shepherd. A good shepherd is powerful, takes ownership, and is personable. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus sees you. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus sees you. He sees every part of you. He sees your inner dark secrets. He sees all of your giftings. He sees all of your flaws. He sees what you think no one else can see. He sees what you try and hide from the world. He sees you. And you know what? He loves what he sees. And listen, a lot of people might want to pick that, that, that apart in me. They go, Justin, well, what about this theology? Justin, what about this sin? What, and, they're gonna, and they'd want to break that piece down. But you know what? For the sake of the gospel and the sake of who Jesus is and what he says, if you have follow-up questions, let's go get coffee and I'll explain some theology. But on the, on the front lines, as we speak it this morning out of Jesus' own words, he sees you and he loves you. And if that gets me in like some sort of hot water of going, explain this to me, whatever. Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. He loves you. Every aspect, he sees you and he loves you. God demonstrated his own love for you in this. That while you were still sinners, while you had nothing to prove, while you were broken in the midst of the muck and the mire, he demonstrates his love for us in this, that he would die and rise again. God loves you. It's just sit in that for a moment. All those moments that you look in the mirror and you go, man, why am I still struggling with that? Why am I still reacting this way? You look at your, the situation in your life and you go, why am I having to endure this work? Why am I having to endure the hardship with my family and this partnership? Why am I having to endure? God, do you see me? God, do you know me? God, are you, are you in this right now? God, are you with my children? God, are you with me in my workplace? God, do you see me? He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Thomas Goodwin, in his book, The Heart of Christ, says, Jesus doesn't want us to draw on his grace and mercy only because it vindicates his atoning work. He wants us to draw on his grace and mercy because it is who he is. He drew near to us in the incarnation so that his joy and ours rise and fall together. His in giving mercy and ours in receiving it. Jesus loves you. He sees you and he loves you. Jesus is the good shepherd. A good shepherd is powerful, takes ownership, and is personable. So you might ask, okay, Justin, I have more clarity in who he is, but what do I do in this relationship with him? What do I do and how do I respond? So I say this in not knowing everyone's spiritual background. I don't know if you've grown up in the church, if you got saved as a child. I don't know if, you've, if you were raised in the church and you've been struggling your whole life with, with God's truth and what it means to take on his identity. I don't know if you've struggled with how the church acts and what you read in scripture. I don't know if this more, if you would say, I, I'm not a believer, but I'm seeking, or if you're just here in protest, but your parents dragged you. I don't know what brings you in the seats this morning. But the fact that God sees you and loves you and chooses you and calls you, the same response is for all of us. If you're to say, what do I do now? The first is to, is to abide in his love. It doesn't matter where you're at. Abide in his love. Abide in his love. What does that mean? Know him. Know him, get to know him. Not what he does, not, not the things that, that you're like, oh yeah, like Jesus came and he did all these acts, he did all these things. Those are good to know, but go deeper. Who is he? What makes his heart tick? What, if it says like he de that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that he would send his one and only son, if, if that's true, then tell me, I will get to know more about that love. Get to know more about God the creator and how he created uh, humanity in his own image and what that means, not just about who God is, but who you are. Get to know and abide in his love. Come to know him. Abide in his person. Jesus, if this is who you are, if this is, if this is what you, who you say that you are, and I am to rise up and be a follower of you, and I'm to take on your image, then God, help me know you intimately. Help me become and help me just rest in who you are. God, help me get to that space where I'm not trying to control and I'm not trying to work out my own salvation, but God, I rest in the truth that you provide and that you sustain. Abide in his person. The second is fall in love with his word. Fall in love with his word. My friends, I'm just, I, I, I can only assume that many of you are churched. I can only assume that many of you have been in the church for more than a year, maybe longer. And all the time in sermons, we walk away with a practical. Okay, you spoke for 30 minutes. Tell me, just give me something practical. Tell me what to do. What's my next steps? My friends, the first step, the main step, don't do anything else until you get this down. Fall in love with the word of God. 
It's so simple and yet it's so hard. It takes practice, it takes building a rhythm, it takes changing our schedule, it takes realigning our hearts, it takes so much diligence and effort. I get it. It has to be the first priority. Fall in love with his word. Not because so you can be moralistically good, so that you can imitate and say, do you know how many things I've memorized in this thing? You uh, Put me to test. You look at the scriptures, look at my life, put me to test. It's not for that. It's so that you may know the voice and person of God. The word is the word. It is God showing himself and revealing himself to us. I have a lot of people, as I've been pastoring through the years, and they say, Justin, I just want to know God. I wish that he would just speak to me. Cool, read your Bible. No, Justin, you don't get it. I want to hear his voice. I want him to speak to me. He's like, I've heard it said before that the, that the sheep are going to know my voice. I want to hear his voice. Read your Bible. No, Justin, you don't get it. I want to hear it audibly. I want to hear, like, I want to hear it out loud. Read your Bible out loud. No, Justin, I don't think you, I want it to be so clear that I want the, the sky to boom and I want it to be loud. Read your Bible really loud. <laughs> Fall in love with the word of God and abide. The last piece is to obey his voice. Obey his voice. John 14 says, if anyone loves me, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. My friends, do you want to know deeply that God is with you, that he's residing in you, and he's made a home in you? Do you want to feel secure and locked in? Do you want to know that you are touched by God and that you can hear his voice? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Friends, abide in his person. Fall in love with his word and be obedient to that voice. Just know that you are deeply loved and God sees you. And we get to partake in, in one of the, probably the most beautiful practices in the church, which is to receive communion. The love feast, the Father's table, that demonstration of God's love. So I want to invite you and the, during the, uh, as I close out, I'll invite you, as I, as I pray and say amen, you can make your way to the back and receive communion. And would you do so in a heart frame? You're not doing anything. We don't bring anything to that table. We don't bring an offering. We don't bring money. We don't, there's nothing to bring to that table. We simply receive the love of God. Would you walk with the heart and the posture to simply receive and you're receiving the body and the blood of Jesus, the atoning work, what was paid for, the fact that you don't have to do anything to secure your relationship with God. He's done the work. And so the act of receiving the body and the blood of Jesus is to walk in faith and say, God, I confess that you are Lord. I confess that in these elements, you paid it all. And I simply receive, and I want more of you, give me all of you, and let me take you in. 
Let me pray for us and let us receive the love feast. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that you see us, that you know us, that you love us. God, I ask that you would move in this time. God, that each individual here would feel and know that you see them, you know them, and you love them. And as we receive the elements, as we receive communion, as we step in faith, acknowledging who you are and what you've done, can we just freely receive you, God? And as we do so in faith, I pray that you would show up and that as everybody receives, that there's something spectacular that happens, that we know your love. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.